But um, so we're in backstage and they're talking to him about how different he was in the second fight than the first one, right? He was coming forward. He was pushing the action. He was uh, making Triple G box on the outside, whereas in the first one, Canelo was boxing on the outside. And they talked to him about his power and said, hey, you know, why is it, you know, so different? You know, um, you were able to push him back so much. And he says, yeah, no que muy verga. In other words, I thought you were such a badass, but he felt the power less in that fight and he felt more comfortable in being able to push him forward. So I think with the Triple G fight, there was a psychological shift. Welcome back to the RBR Recap. It is Sunday, September 11th. I am Alex Burgos, joined as always by my man, Gabe Brevis. We're here with a special edition precap. As um, you know, the main fight of this weekend, Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall and the co-main uh, Michaela Mayer versus Alicia Baumgartner, which we were all looking forward to, looking forward to breaking down and, and discussing uh, what's obviously canceled because of the death of the queen. And so that's going to be postponed and rescheduled now looks like October 15th, which now has 6,000 fights on that date. Um, it's going to be an interesting weekend of fights. Um, I'm, I'm thinking the Wilder fight, uh, Caleb Plan and, and Durrell. I know there's some other ones that we're missing out there, but it's it's going to be crazy. Um, but yeah, so we wanted to uh, jump in on the Sunday and continue get the ball rolling uh, on a super fight, a trilogy, and one that we're really looking forward to in Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin, the third and final chapter, uh, supposedly, right? Yeah. What should be, and uh, it's been a long time coming. Started in 2017 uh, with a very good fight between. Canelo and Triple G. And so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, fight odds, um, you know, maybe keys for each fighter. Uh, talk a little bit about stories that we have. Gabe, you covered the first two um, and, you know, our predictions as well. So first off, just wanted to kick it to you. How are you doing on this Sunday morning? I'm doing well. I really wish we had gotten that special doubleheader with Shields versus Marshall and Mayer versus Baumgartner. I think that would have been a really historic night for women's boxing, but we, I understand what's going on in the UK uh, right now. So we'll have to push it, as you mentioned, to October 15, where there are going to be a lot of dates that we got to deal with that night. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so let's jump right into it. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Canelo and Triple G, the fight odds. Like I said, it's Sunday, you know, heading into fight week. Um, this is when we normally start to see a little bit of shift, uh, whether it be, you know, up and down um, betting odds, people starting to put late money on a uh, certain fighter. And so I think we've seen that in one of the books. Um, we obviously have partnerships in round by round boxing with the uh, box bet pod and, and the RBR recap with a couple different books, DraftKings, uh, FanDuel, my bookie bet MGM. And, you know, DraftKings right now is one of the most popular ones. They have a lot of stuff where they you know, support boxing and do different promotions and things like that. Canelo sitting at a minus 500, meaning you'd have to put $500 down on Canelo to win 100 back. Um, FanDuel has him at minus 550. My bookie has him at minus 666. That is the uh, you know greatest odds. Um, so you'd have to put $666 down to win 100 back on Canelo. And then BetMGM has him at minus 450, which is the lowest. Now, Triple G, we've never seen this, which really to me is interesting. We've never seen him as um, maybe even an underdog. Uh, maybe in the second fight he was, I can't remember exactly, but definitely not this big of an underdog. And so we're talking plus 350 and up on these books. So meaning you put 100 down on Triple G uh, to win and you could make anywhere from 350 to 400, 450 back right now. And those odds could continue to go up. 
Um, similar odds to what Dimitri Bivol had, interestingly enough. Uh, Bivol was a plus, I want to say, 375 uh, at the time of the first bell in that fight. And as we know, he did win that fight. And so there's always an opportunity, you know, for the underdog to win, especially in boxing. But what I want to jump into, too, is discussing from the beginning, like we mentioned, 2017, we're now in 2022, towards the end of 2022. We've come a long way. Um, this fight has always been highly anticipated with first or second or third. And, you know, even though a lot of people have argued that, okay, it's too little too late. I think the fanfare around this, the discussion, the social media buzz seems to lend, uh, to the fact and to the argument that, Hey, fans are still interested in this fight. Um, you got a, a really stellar undercard. I'm excited to see that as well, but I think the hype and the buildup has been good. And I think fight week is going to be exciting as well. And so, Gabe, I want to kick it to you just to start discussing a little bit about what you remember. We both covered that first one uh, in Vegas at the T-Mobile where all these fights um, have taken place and will take place uh, this weekend. <clears throat> so, I mean, I just remember it being something that I had never seen before. It was like, a, you know, the Super Bowl of boxing. You've got the Mexican fans, Triple G having that whole, you know, Mexican style. Mantra. It, was, it was really big in those days. But what do you remember starting from that first fight? And um, and we'll kind of get into, you know, where they've gone since and then now leading to where they're at coming up this weekend. Part of the interest was that we had been waiting for the fight for at least two years. And so once it was announced, everyone was really excited about it. There was a lot of media attention. They were even on, uh, even on first take. Um, and they did like a multi-city press tour, London, New York, L.A., if I remember correctly. I actually joined the Golden Boy staff right after the press tour and uh, worked the entire promotion. And since then, I have not seen as much media presence as I did for that first fight against Triple G. I think if I remember correctly, there were like 300 people who had applied to attend the event. Now, we didn't give credentials to all 300 people, but there were a lot of media members who attended from different parts of the world just to see that first Triple G fight. And after that, I mean, I worked the Jacobs fight, the second Triple G fight, the Kovalev fight, and I, and I had still not seen as much media presence as I did in that first Canelo Triple G fight. And so I think that's an indicator of the interest that there was in that first fight uh, and so much expectation, so much um, to look forward to in that hype. I don't know if it lived up to it in terms of how exciting it was because it was a little bit more of a boxing match than the war that people expected it to be. You know what I mean? And that's perhaps why it led. And then a year, it took another year for the second fight to happen, which perhaps kind of helped, you know, uh, eliminate some of the buzz. But there was there was something special about that first fight, especially during the fight week activities. A lot of people there, a lot of fans there uh, saw you out there. It was a, it was an interesting experience. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like I mentioned before, Triple G was that knockout artist. People wanted to see, you know, can he do that to Canelo? How is Canelo going to fight? You know, it was just the the unknown. Obviously, in the second fight, we got a different fight, but we knew we had seen them in the ring before, share 12 rounds. And I think something that killed it a little bit as well was the decision, to be honest. Um, I think most of us saw Triple G win that fight. Uh, I'd say, you know, 8-4 was, was around no more than seven, five. Um, and, you know, it ended up being a draw and that, that always kills a little bit of the buzz, but, you know, to be fair, that rematch was hyped up as well. Um, they still were looking good. And, um, you know, that fight was exciting as well. It was a different style fight. You know, you saw Canelo willing to trade, willing to engage more when in the first fight, he was really on his bicycle 
really trying to figure out what was going to work for him and probably being a little weary of that power, which, you know, everyone had, you know, succumbed to up until that point, you know, um, other than Daniel Jacobs. In fact, that Jacobs was the guy who eliminated his knockout streak. And then he right. fought Triple G. I mean, and then he fought Canelo, if I remember correctly. And then one of the things that one of the things that also helped to eliminate some of the buzz and the momentum was that in May or a few months prior to that, because the second fight was going to take place in May 2018, was that he tested positive uh, for small traces of clenbuterol. Now I'm not going to get into all the specifics of that. But whether, you know, regardless of your opinion of what happened, it still eliminated some of the buzz and it made it so that it took a few more months for that second fight to take place. But it also helped to contribute to some of the bad blood because before in the first fight, they were very respectful, talking very well about each other, right. um, talking about how it's going to be. It, it was a it was a fight between two gentlemen who were warriors and, and uh, knockout artists in the ring. But in the second fight, there was a lot of bad blood because. Again, the decision you said, Triple G saying, "Oh, you know, the the Canelo has a judge's bot. Uh, I can I can't fucking win a fight in Las Vegas." And then with the Clembuteral situation, he's also calling him a cheater, and that really helped to cause some bad blood going into the second fight. And in that second fight, you can really see that Canelo had a chip on his shoulder in the interviews and in the preparation. I mean, he really wanted to go in there and prove that not only is the he is the biggest star in boxing, but he can face the boogeyman and beat him. Right. To be honest, um, I'm still waiting for my money back from Canelo. I'll send you that bill again. I lost uh, I lost that on my second flight for that second oh, fight. Because right, right, right. <laughs> you were going to attend, right? And then something happened and you couldn't attend the, the second fight in September, right? Exactly. Yeah. When they rescheduled it, I couldn't. And so I think it was around that time. It was like Southwest gave me a certain amount of time to, you know, rebook. And I right. didn't because I didn't have anywhere to go other than wanting to to cover the fight. Um, so, yeah, I lost out on that. But um, yeah, it was I, I forgot to even mention about the whole clumbuterol thing. And, you know, and then it got it got ugly because then I remember Abel Sanchez, uh, Triple G's trainer at that time. Um, you know, them doing that commercial, even, uh, you know, oh, with the meat. Fun. Yeah, with <laughs> yeah. The meat and everything. Yeah, it yeah. became this whole thing. And so that definitely put more of a chip on, like you said, regardless of where you stand on what happened or whatnot, but it obviously became a point of contention, um, which there was a lot of disrespect going back and forth between the two. So um, in terms of that fight, I think we saw what I think will now lead into the third fight and the style that Canelo can really uh, impose his will. And we've seen now Gennady Golovkin be affected and, and really uh, he doesn't take body shots. Well, I guess to put it plainly. Uh, and I think Canelo now will take that. And, you know, since that rematch, a lot has happened. You know, the pandemic Golovkin has gotten older. He's been less active. And Canelo has been the opposite. So talk to us a little bit about now coming into the third fight where you see um, the effect of what each man has been able to do since that second fight and how they've looked and, and what you think is going to happen now. With Triple G, it's been an 180 degree shift because before the first Canelo fight, before the Danny Jacobs fight, he was on a historic run. I think he was fighting two, three, maybe even four times a year. There are fights in the Southern California area. There were fights in New York City. It seemed like he was a very active fighter, knocking people out. Uh, I, I can't remember how many people he knocked out in a row, but it was like, I don't know, something like 18 or 20. And then he was even trying to get to Bernard Hopkins's uh, historic number of title defenses at middleweight. I can't remember if it was 20 or 21, but that win against Canelo, that potential win against Canelo in the first fight 
would have been enough to break that record. And so before the first Canelo fight and before the second fight, he was very active, fighting frequently. But then afterward, we saw him fight less frequently. He fought Steve Rolls, Derevianchenko, Zerameta, and Ryota Murata. That's only four times within the past four years. So he hasn't been as active. We can understand why. He wants to make sure that he gets that third Canelo fight. Canelo, however, he's fought twice as many times. He's fought eight times. But I want to share a story real quickly about what I think was a psychological shift that took place uh, right after the second fight, because you mentioned in that second fight, he was coming forward, pushing the action and actually pushing Triple G back, something we don't see as frequently. So typically after a fighter finishes a fight of that caliber, he'll go to his locker room and then he'll have to take a drug test, right? He'll have to pee. And so he has to wait to pee. And a lot of these fighters, they're so dehydrated. They've been working so hard that they have to wait for 45 minutes or an hour until they actually get um, the ganas, the desire to pee and then go out and do the press conference. That's typically what happened. And so Canelo was backstage waiting. I got back there, managed to say hello, take a photo and whatever, uh, because it was such a historic night and it was such an excellent performance. And I'm no Canelo fanboy, but you can, you can appreciate greatness when you see it. In fact, I'm wearing the shirt that he wore, uh, in that, in that second fight. But, um, so we're backstage and they're talking to him about how different he was in the second fight than the first one, right? He was coming forward. He was pushing the action. He was, uh, making triple G box on the outside. Whereas in the first one, Canelo was boxing on the outside and they talked to him about his power and said, Hey, you know, why is it, you know, so different? You know, um, you were able to push him back so much. And he says, yeah, no que muy verga. In other words, I thought you were such a badass, but he felt the power less in that fight and he felt more comfortable in being able to push him forward. So I think with the Triple G fight, there was a psychological shift. You can see how earlier in his career, he was concerned about getting hit hard with the shot because in that Jose Miguel Cotto fight, when he was like 19 or 20, he got caught with the hook and he was almost done. And since on the then, ropes. Right, tumbling on the ropes. And since then, it seemed like he made a concerted effort to always do this. By that, I mean, keep your right hand up, not get caught with the hook. Little by little, he implemented more head, uh, head movement. In the Cotto fight, it was a classic example of how his defense, defense had improved. He was moving his head, very slick, very smooth. Uh, but in that, Canelo, in that Triple G fight, in the first one, he was cautious. They didn't want to get hit, moving around a little bit. Uh, but I think he proved to himself that even if Triple G lands a shot, he can take it. He doesn't have to be worried. I think he proved to himself that he has one of the best chins in boxing. And that's why in the second fight, he was able to say things in the lead up. He was able to say things like, yeah, you know, he has good power, but it's not something that's out of this world. And so he was more confident in coming forward. And so since then, I think we've seen him at 168 against guys who you, you would believe would be bigger punchers, be more confident, uh, have a more come forward style um, and, and really just change his confidence uh, as a fighter. Yeah. Uh, Barry Hunter would say, hold the phone, hold the phone, yeah. <laughs> hold the phone. And so, yeah, I mean, Canelo is one of the best things that he does is rolling with punches. So yeah, you could hit him, but if he's moving and rolling and, and we've seen, um, you know, classic like clips and highlights of that the first fight. fight and in the, the Jacobs, Jacobs fight. fight as well with the triple G fight, you know, triple G when he would get guys against the ropes like that and he's unloading, usually going down, you know, Rubio felt it a lot. of He's got even, you know, Daniel Jacobs, when he was kind of against the rope, stumbled and, and going like southpaw. You were, you were yeah. yeah, you were waiting for that, waiting to get hit. But Canelo, you know, spent a lot of times on the ropes and would be able to very use his upper body movement very well. And when you're rolling with punches, you don't feel the full effect of them. And he does that really well. Um, 
so one of the things that I think that really benefited him is like, hey, you know, even with my um, ability to take a punch, but on top of that, my my ability to kind of dodge and roll with punches and and you know circle and move and like you're saying, there's another um, you know famous clip of the Kodo fight um, where he kind of ducks underneath, and um, you know people love to show that clip, but it's like his defense. Um, it's just really on point. He's diversified. He knows yes. how to do more. It's not just blocking. He's slipping. He's rolling. He's doing a lot of different things. And I think he's gotten better in that. That's probably been the, the one point that I've seen over time where he's just improving and improving. Um, the Jacobs clips that you've been saying as well, when you're like, you know, how good does uh, Canelo defend? And you're seeing just like, boom, boom, boom. He's moving back and forth. Upper body movement is just incredible. So um, against a slower Triple G now, I mean, I think that's going to be even more beneficial for him to be able to hit and not get hit. Um, and that moves us now to keys to victory, which we want to discuss a little bit. I want to kick it to you to talk about the Canelo keys to victory, but also I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think Triple G needs to do. And I'll start with that. I think the number one thing, and for me, it's been throughout all of these fights, the first fight, the second fight, and now the third fight. And I always was thinking like, why didn't he invest in the body more? And I'm not quite sure because, you know, those liver shots, I mean, even when you're talking about just Mexican style, I mean, he would do that before the Canelo fight. And maybe, you know, in terms of not wanting to receive anything in return, um, I don't know why exactly Triple G never really invested in the body as much. I think he was in single digits in the second fight in terms of connects to the body. But that, to me, is always going to be a key to victory for him. And if he can invest early, uh, then it will pay dividends late. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, that one punch knockout that we had seen, you know, against the Matthew Macklins of the world and all that stuff. But just invest, go downstairs and, you know, uh, depending on how trip, um, excuse me, how Canelo comes out, you know, we saw him come out one way against Dimitri Bivol. Um, you know, we don't know exactly how he's going to come out, but I think regardless of the fact, um, that's going to be uh, an important key to victory for Triple G. I think the second thing also is working his jab. He's got a, a really good jab. He can set the tone, set the pace, and really dictate the action. Um, so if you don't want Canelo going to your body, which we've seen now even more so as of late. Triple G does not like it downstairs and who does, but the, the thing is he doesn't have a good poker face when he gets hit down low. You're like, Ooh, that hurt him. And you know, more and more now, as you get older, obviously your punch resistance, we've seen it with Luis Ortiz, you know, a lot of guys, as you get older, your punch resistance gets, gets worse. And so it, it, it could be detrimental to triple G to be in there winging shots in a phone booth fight, whereas Canelo may feel more comfortable in that, that range. And so I think uh, if triple G is able to really establish the jab, like he did versus Murata, because I think after he had his big moments, uh, triple G, I think Murata came back and was able to hurt him to the body. And what did triple G do? He really relied on his jab to really um, get control, reassert dominance in that fight and then find his spots for his power shot. So I think definitely the uh, the jab is a big component and, you know, is always going to be for Triple G. Like I said, he has a really good jab. Um, and then also, lastly, is the style of the fight, dictating the pace, not allowing Canelo to push him back. And I think um, that's easier said than done, especially at this point in his career. But in conjunction with the jab, push Canelo back. You know, obviously we've seen Triple G as well does not fight all that well moving backwards 
Um, there are some guys that can do both, but for his abilities to really shine, I think he has to come forward and he's going to have to mix up the angles and not just be on the inside, but, you know, maybe work two, three, four combinations, move outside, but always try to either circle or come forward, moving backward and allowing Canelo to just get inside on you. And then him being stagnant and staying on maybe the ropes um, or just staying on the inside. I mean, we even saw moments where Kel Brook was able to land punches. You know, uh, if you're on the inside, Canelo is going to find a spot to to land and eventually hurt you. And I think, again, it could be detrimental just because the punch resistance may not be there as much as it once was for Triple G. So I will say those three things for me are keys to victory for him. Gabe, I'll kick it to you to discuss a little bit about what you think Canelo, uh, his keys to victory are. So here are three keys to victory for Canelo to defeat Triple G in the third fight. These aren't the only things he can do, but I think there are three important things that he needs to do in this fight. Number one is to not let Triple G establish his jab. Number two is to make him feel old and to keep the pace high. And number three, uh, to work the body. Uh, but let's go over them one by one. Uh, number one, don't let Triple G establish the jab. Leading into both fights, the HBO commentators, because it was an HBO fight, the first two fights, and it really demonstrates how boxing has changed and that we're in a new era, that it's on the zone um, for this fight. But leading up to those fights, the commentators would often note that Triple G had the most important or the most effective jab in all of boxing. And what that does is that allows you to control your opponent, allows you to set everything up. And if you're a fighter like Canelo Alvarez, what you want is a, is, a, is a jab that you see similar and the jab that you don't see with a lot of variation so that you can counter it, right? And so that's why I think it's important for him not to allow Triple G to establish the jab is that because it'll allow him to control moments of the fight. With the Bevo fight, uh, leading up to that fight, I, was, I said the same thing is that Bevo would have to vary the jab and move it a lot because Canelo wants a similar jab for him to work off of and counter. And those jabs and the straight punches, I think, were very key in allowing Bevo to win that fight. So if you're Canelo, what do you do to make sure that Triple G doesn't establish his jab? Counter. Make sure that for every jab, there's something coming back. If he throws one jab, throw two. If he throws a hard jab, come back with the right hand. Keep making sure that Canelo, that Triple G is a little bit weary of letting that jab go because he's worried about something coming back to him. Now, secondly... Canelo Alvarez is 32 years old and Triple G is 40. It's no secret that he's going to have the uh, advantage in terms of youth. So he needs to make sure that he reminds Triple G of his age as soon as he gets into the ring. How do you do that? Keep the pace high. Make sure that it's very quick. For each jab you have a counter, make sure you're throwing your jab, making sure you're throwing combinations. Make sure, if possible, to work every second of every round. Now, Historically, Canelo has had some troubles with conditioning. We saw it as far back as the Austin Trout fight. I think in at least one interview leading up to this Triple G uh, rematch, this third fight, he's even mentioned that there were some issues in camp leading up to the Bevo fight. Now, as I understand, he's made some changes to the people in his team, his strength and conditioning coach, things like that. So I think that making sure he's well-conditioned is one aspect that he's been working on for this fight because it looked like Bevo would let off a bunch of combinations and Canelo wouldn't be able to come back because he was so tired. So uh, in the second fight, the basic point, in this third fight, in this basic point, the second key to victory is to 
may remind Triple G that he's 40 years old and keep the pace high. And then lastly, the third key to victory is to work the body. In the first two fights, Canelo worked it a little bit uh, in the form of counter punches to the body, but it wasn't a sustained body attack. With the Derebianchenko fight against Triple G, everyone saw that he does not like to be punched in the body, and that's a significant weakness. As you mentioned in your case to victory, he doesn't have the greatest poker face when he receives body shots. So in this third fight, I think you have to make a consistent attack to the body, hooks to the body, straights to the body, jabs to the body. Obviously, you have to be uh, careful because as you're you know making attack to the body you can't get hit with straight shots and we counter uppercuts and stuff like that but i think a sustained attack to the body not just in the first and the second rounds but throughout the fight will be a solid investment that will pay dividends in the later rounds of the fight uh, which will take us to what our predictions uh, will be for this fight and i think we both have similar predictions <laughs> for how this fight will end yeah definitely i like your keys and um like you said, moving into the predictions, I think that it is going to be a breakdown of sorts and Canelo is really going to employ or be able to employ because it's just always a matter of styles. When you get two guys like this, who can impose their will, who can fight their fight. I think Canelo is uh, in a better position to really impose his will and fight his fight. And um, while Triple G may have spots where he's successful, I think the sustained attack of uh, what Canelo Alvarez does now back at a weight. I think that is a little bit more conducive to his style and being able to not only receive punches, but also dish them out. Like you were saying, I think the weight had a lot to do with, you know, I can't, I'm taking shots from a guy like B-Ball and then I can't get off my three, four, five uh, punch combinations. It just has a lot to do with that when you're moving up in weight. That reminds me because uh, something that nobody seems to talk about is that Triple G is going to be moving up to 168 pounds for the Undisputed Championship. We've seen him fight at a certain level at 160. Maybe this will benefit him. The fact that he's 40. A lot of fighters, by the time you hit 40, they've already moved up a division or two. He has stayed in that same division for like over 10 years. So maybe that's going to be a factor in his favor. But uh, sorry, as you were. Yeah, no, no, no. And that's uh, one of those kind of like X factors that we don't know. Um, we can't really measure it until we see it. And I will add one more thing, one added caveat uh, and something just food for thought. When our guy Hans, during the uh, Canelo Triple G uh, announcement, asked Canelo during the, the roundtable, said, you know, who hits harder, Triple G or, or Bival? And immediately Canelo said, same. Um, and what people read into that, I think when we posted that online, a lot of people were like, see, Triple G doesn't hit that hard. Face value. They just took it for, oh, he hits the same as Bivol. No. Imagine at 160, you're saying a guy that at 160 hits the same as a guy at 175. Um, you know, that that says a lot. Can Triple G just kind of put on the pressure? Can he just punch Canelo in his arms? Can he wear him down? And can he really make him feel his power? And to your point, at 168, does he feel uh, stronger? And, you know, that that remains to be seen. So that's an added little uh, nugget that some people may be, um, you know, tipping overlooking. Their hats yeah. and overlooking. And, and also, if you're trying to make a little money, like we started with the betting odds, it may be, you know, worth putting a little something on on Triple G at plus 400. You know, if you really think that he's got something that could uh, hurt Canelo and, and defeat him. So and just in terms of, you know, how we both think this is going to go, I think all in all, I see Canelo breaking Golovkin down mid to late rounds. If he invests in the body, I really think that'll pay dividends. And I think, like I said, uh, Golovkin, just with his punch resistance at this point, will not be able to take what uh, Canelo is bringing to the table. 
And so for me, prediction, Canelo, uh, mid to late round stoppage uh, against Gennady Golovkin. Gabe, what do you think? I think Canelo's going to win by stoppage in the later rounds. Uh, I think he's going to wear him down gradually. There's just a lot of things that are working against Triple G. The age, uh, he's 40, whereas Canelo is 32. The inactivity, uh, Triple G has only fought four times, whereas Canelo has fought eight times. Uh, Psychologically, um, I know Triple G must feel like he's the best and considers himself to be the best, but Canelo moved up a division captured all the belts, then moved up to light heavyweight. And there needs, there's something to be said about moving up two divisions, fighting one of the best guys there in B-Roll, who's perhaps number two, losing, that's fine. But then going back to uh, 168 to fight a guy who's moving up to 160, you got to be thinking in the back of your head, look, I went up to 175. I fought one of the best guys there. I didn't get knocked out. In my mind, it was close. Even in some post-fight interviews, he said he felt he won. What's this guy from 160 who, for me, was old news and a guy I beat a long time ago? What is he going to do to me? After that second fight, uh, people kept asking him over and over again, Triple G, are you going to fight him again? He said, look, for me, that fight ended uh, in 2018 when I defeated him in the rematch. For me, that was old news. I turned the page on that book a long time ago because I felt I'm better and I showed that I was better. Now, four years later, what's he going to think? All right, I'll just make uh, uh, easy money. I'm going to fight this guy again. I'm taking it seriously, but it's a guy I felt I was better four years ago. How am I going to feel right now? I'm going to go in there and stop this guy. And he said that in interviews that he's going to make sure that he doesn't go the 12 rounds. Now, Triple G has one of the best chins in boxing. He's a great at 160 pounds, but at 40 years old with the inactivity, what we've seen lately with the fact that Canelo is going to go down in history as one, as one of the best fighters in an, and around his division. It's hard not to see him. It's hard not to see that this will be his last stand and that he could get stopped in the later rounds. Yeah, and we invite everyone uh, who's been listening, who's been uh, interacting with us on social media and YouTube to go ahead and drop your predictions. We definitely want to hear what people have to say. Uh, we look forward to this fight. Look forward to the the RBR recap episode 30 officially after this fight, and, and we'll see what happens, right? Thank you for listening to the RBR Recap. Make sure to follow us on social media at RBR Recap and visit rbrrecap.com for the latest episodes.